This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Kevin, and I want to wish you a happy Labor Day. And speaking of Labor Day, uh, we are a community... And we're all friends here, and I want to share with you some exciting news. In early March, uh, Maria and I are expecting a baby boy. We just found out. So, so there's our Labor Day uh, excitement. Uh, yeah, we're pretty fired up about it. We found out Friday. It was a big day, and uh, so we're, we're very excited. So thanks for all of you who have been praying and are excited with us about that. Uh, it should be an exciting 2011. Uh, a son kind of freaks me out. I'm very excited. As we get into this morning, uh, I want to ask you, how would you characterize your relationship with God today? It's good. It's okay. It's it's exciting. uh, Just kind of there. What relationship? I mean, how would you characterize your relationship with God this morning? We have some, uh, some notes that you can follow along and fill in the blanks. They will be helpful for you as we go on this morning, so you can pull that out of your program. Uh, are you living an amazing life with God? In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Is that your experience? If that's not your experience, I want to be honest with you. It's not because God doesn't want that for you. It's not because God has something less for you than he uh, says in John chapter 10. God wants you to experience him so deeply, so passionately, so uh, in such a real way that it, it transforms your life, that it's the most amazing experience ever. And when I was 17, it was the first time that as an adult, I, I came into a, a deep, loving, passionate relationship with God. I was out in a field one night, and, and I just sensed God stirring and moving. And so I said, God, wherever you want to take me, I'll follow. And it has been uh, 12 years since then. And I can tell you it's been an amazing journey. Hasn't always been easy. There have been times that I've had some, some real heartbreak, some terrible disappointment. Uh, there have been times where I kind of wondered which way was up. Uh, there have been really high times as well, but I'm not talking about highs and lows. I'm not talking about uh, the things that are around us, the things that come into our lives. I'm talking about this, this knowing God, this intimate relationship, this passion, this I- experience of oneness with the one who created you, that regardless of circumstance, you could get up every morning and say, I just have an amazing life. Life is an adventure. God is moving, and I can tell. And, and when I come into times of, of worship, it's passionate, and sometimes I, I can't even speak because I'm overwhelmed by the presence of the Creator God. I can tell you without a doubt that uh, God loves you deeply. God's love for you is unconditional. God can't love you any more today than he already does. Regardless of what you have done or do uh, or will do, God loves you and God draws you into a, a place where you would experience him and know him. God's love is unconditional, but God's blessings are conditional. And so we need to be asking ourselves, am I putting my myself, my life, my family in places where I could experience God's blessing in my life? So 
Uh, for example, you can't say, hey, God, would you, would you bless my marriage and then go have an affair, right? God uh, does not bless us if we are living outside of what his plan for our life is. Or we can't say, God, would you, would you bless my work and then go and be unethical in our jobs? God's love for us is unconditional, but God wants to bless us abundantly. But his blessings are conditional. His blessings depend on our experiencing him, on our knowing him, on our doing the things that would honor God, that would be uh, just amazingly powerful and passionate testimonies to God's working. Uh, and as a community, we have to wrestle with these questions. How would I characterize my life with God? Not just individually, but as a, a church community, as a, a body of people that comes together. What's our relationship with God like? This morning, we're going to look at uh, the book of Acts. We're getting into a whole uh, four-week series on uh, community on the pieces of community, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, and I get to lay out kind of the big picture, and then Ron's going to take a few weeks and hit some, some main points, then I'll close up our series at the end of this month. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, because this is a group of people who experienced life to the full. They experienced the promise of John chapter 10, that, that Jesus came that we would have life and have it to the fullest. These are people who said, God, here I am. Whatever you want to do, however you want to lead, however you want to guide, I I'm ready. I'm open. I want to experience you. So let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into Acts chapter 2. God, would you, uh, would you open us up? Would you help us to be uh, really honest? Honest with ourselves, honest with you, uh, honest with uh, the rest of the folks who sit in this room. Uh, because when we get honest— uh, we would say there's something in us that draws us to you, uh, that wants to experience an amazing life, that wants to experience life of passion, a, a, a full life, a life that's not just sustaining, but a life that is growing and increasing and exper- experiencing your blessings. Through all the ups and downs, we want a life where we could say beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, we know that you are real and that you're here and that you created us and that you love us. So Holy Spirit, as we look at this community in Acts chapter 2, uh, would you open up our eyes to the experience that the church had then and the way you're calling the church to live now? We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. Amen. So before we get into Acts chapter 2, we have to go back to the book of Luke. There's a, uh, an author, a doctor named Luke, and he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And they're two kind of halves of the same story. One is Jesus' life, his biography, and then the other one is the early church that flowed out of Uh, this experience of God coming uh, to earth in Jesus and him being crucified and him raising from the dead. And and in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been nailed to the cross. He's been crucified. Three days later, he rose again and he went to his disciples, his followers, and he said to them, wait in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Jewish faith. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then share my good news of God's love with all the nations. So he says, wait here, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, and then go out and uh, share the good news with the nations. And that's just what they did. They waited. They sat for about 50 days until a Jewish feast called uh, Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word, and, uh, and it, it, it took place 50 days after uh, the time when Jesus was crucified. All the Jews from all over the world were gathered together. And they were giving offerings to God. They were celebrating the harvest uh, that they had had, and they were thanking God for his provision in their lives, and they were giving back an offering to him. And, and while uh, this festival, this Feast of Pentecost was happening, the disciples were up in a room together, and the Holy Spirit came to them. 
began to move in their lives powerfully. And they went out into the crowd, and a guy named Peter got up, and he spoke to thousands upon thousands of people. And basically, uh, he just got up and he said, Jews and Romans, you have killed the Messiah. You've killed the Savior of the world. You've killed Jesus, the Christ, God's Son who came to restore you. You crucified him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. God conquered death. God took what you meant for evil and turned it to good, and God restored a way for you to come to him. And the amazing thing is, because you would think this Jewish guy gets up in a crowd of thousands of people, and when he says to him, hey, you crucified the only true God, that they would be upset, right? I, I would be a little bit defensive. I get defensive if someone says to me that I'm not using the computer correctly, right? If they told me that I had crucified or killed someone, I might be a little bit touchy, a little upset. But the amazing thing is the Spirit of God moves, and the people say, well, what do we do? It says they were cut to the heart. Something in them resonated with the story that Peter was telling. They said, what do we do? And Peter says, you need to turn from your sins. You need to turn towards God. You need to be baptized, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, those who accepted the message were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to their number that day. I want to give us some context. Imagine going to uh, the uh, Butter and Eggs Festival in downtown Petaluma. It's a, it's a great time. Uh, and you're walking around in the crowd at Butter and Eggs, and the kids are being real cute. They're wearing their costumes, the whole thing. And, and my daughter is winning the, uh, the Cutest Chicken Award. And, uh, so I just imagine that. I know it's not hard to, to grasp. Okay. Uh, I think she would win. This is my imagination. This is my story. You're just invited into it. Uh, all of a sudden, somebody gets up, and he starts to preach... Uh, the good news of Jesus, that, that Jesus was the Christ, that he lived and that he died and that he, he made a way for us to come into relationship with God. And in the middle of, of, of butter and eggs, the parade stops and, and people just say, well, what do we do? This is amazing. And he says, we need to go down to the Petaluma River. We need to go behind the apple box and we need to jump over the fence and we need to get baptized in the Petaluma River. And all of a sudden you see 3,000 people running to the river they jump over, and there's just mass baptism. People are getting dunked after dunked. They're, they're getting baptized, and, and they're coming out, and they're all dirty and muddy because it's the Petaluma River, but they don't care because uh, God is doing something amazing. And so then you go home that day, and, and I wonder what our experience would be. Would we say, wow, something, something kind of weird happened there, right? I felt something, but I don't know for sure what it was. Uh, oh, it was probably just, you know, some emotional thing happening. Would we say that? I, I wouldn't. I would be in awe. If I saw 3,000 people at Butter and Eggs all of a sudden give their lives to Christ, go down to the Petaluma River and get baptized, I'd be in awe. It would change everything. And, and that's exactly what happened. Because the people experienced God in such a way that it, it changed the trajectory of their life. They were going one way. Uh, they, were, they were mostly Jews. They were celebrating and worshiping God in the only way they knew how. And they found out the Messiah had come, their Savior had come, and they, they changed the trajectory of their lives. And in Acts 2, verse 42 through 47, we see how this experience with God transformed them. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. 
So following this experience with God, 3,000 people come and they give their lives to Christ. And that marks the beginning of what we've come to call the church. Uh, this gathering, this group came together. And what we see in this experience is a glimpse of the amazing life. Now, part of what made this life with God so powerful uh, was that the way that the people experienced God in the context of their church community. Notice it doesn't say that they, they had this experience with God and then they all went off to their own corners and they worshiped by themselves. Now, we can guess that they probably did go off by themselves at some point, but, but what uh, the author wants us to know is they came together in this community, this transforming church community. It wasn't just something they did once a week. This was a, a lifestyle. All of a sudden, they were walking this direction. They experienced Christ, and they turned this direction. They started following God into this passionate community, and there were two key places that this happened. The first was in the, uh, the large group setting. So they experienced God in this communal setting, and it was a dynamic time. Everyone in the community gathered together, we're told that they, they worshiped at the temple court. So we can imagine thousands of people coming and, and worshiping God and listening to the apostles teach. And they were experiencing God in very powerful ways. Miracles were happening. People were being healed. People's lives were being transformed. Uh, we, we, we followed this idea. All right, that's why we're here this morning. Some churches call it their worship service or their church service. Some call it mass. Uh, some people do it on Saturday night or Saturday morning. We do it on Sunday morning. It's our Sunday morning experience, and our goal is that we would come and we would experience God as a whole community. Uh, one of the sad things uh, about multiple services is that the whole community is not together, but at least a portion of our community is here, right? Anywhere from one to 300 people gather each service to, to worship God, to experience God together. So they experienced God in the large group setting, and then they, the second place they experienced God in this community in Acts was in the small group setting. And that's what I want to focus on a little bit today. So I think we've got the large group setting down. I think we're, we're figuring it out. We know what it means to come together and worship God and experience him. But verse 46 says that they broke bread together in each other's homes with glad and with sincere hearts. In his book, Searching to Belong, uh, author Joseph Myers said that there are four social spaces that every individual needs to live in order to be healthy. And we can actually add to that that we can experience God in all four of these social spaces. He says if you miss one of these four spaces, you won't have a healthy life. You need to have all four of these social spaces to exist. And the first space is the public space. It's, it's 20 or more people gathered together. It's our worship service. It's our Sunday morning where we come, and there's usually a speaker or a leader. It's a, a large group gathering where you don't so much look side to side, but you look forward and back, right? You look up here, and I, I look at you. The second space is the social space. It's groups of 5 to 20 people gathered together. You kind of know everybody's name. You're, you're forming friendships. You're, you're getting to know each other. And the third space is personal space. It's two to five people. It's maybe inviting another couple over for dinner, and you really are starting to know some intimate details about each other. You're starting to know more than just your name. You maybe know even your birthday or your middle name. It's like a big deal here. Uh, so you're all gathered together. Uh, that was a joke by the way, people. <laughs> Hopefully you know more than their middle name. I used to tell college students when they'd say, hey, Kevin, I started dating this girl. I said, okay, what's her middle name? If they couldn't tell me, I said, you shouldn't be dating her, right? This is like base information. Don't start dating someone unless you know their middle name. So uh, that's just a little hint for you. Get to know their middle name first. At least you know a little bit about them. But in the personal space, you're sharing details of life together. Uh, you're having fun. You're celebrating kids' birthdays, that kind of thing. And then there's the intimate space, and that's just you and one other person usually a spouse or uh, a best friend, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling. And this person knows you better than anybody else in the world. So there are four spaces. Remember those, the public space, 
the social space, the personal space, and the intimate space. And God was moving. It was clear in Acts chapter 2, God was moving. 3,000 people came to faith in one day. And they began to worship. Not only that, but uh, verse 47 says that the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So we had this huge uh, congregation, 3,000 people or more, and then every day new people are coming in. They're coming. They're experiencing God. They're worshiping. The Lord was, was adding daily. They had this dynamic public gathering. They worshiped at the temple courts, and God was doing powerful things through the apostles, and he was healing people and doing miracles. And so the public space was amazing. We also know from, uh, from culture, from family of the day, that the personal space and the intimate space were probably pretty powerful too. Family was a huge deal. Marriage was a huge deal. It was uh, for life. Jesus said, you need to marry uh, for life. You become one person. And so family, personal space, two to five people, and the one-on-one was pretty powerful. So they had strong public space, strong personal space, strong intimate space. But I'm guessing, and, and this is my guess. You can wrestle with this on your own, but my guess is that they were uh, needing some social space, that they were feeling alone, that there was some disconnect going on. My guess is that in this huge crowd, there were some people who started to feel lonely, because even though you're in a giant group together, you don't really know people. And so there was some aloneness happening. And they needed groups of 5 to 20 people worshiping, uh, eating together, having fun together. In his book, The Living Church, John Stott said something that I think is, is a word for us today. He says there's something unnatural and subhuman about large crowds. They tend to be aggregations rather than congregations. Aggregations of unrelated people. The larger they become the less the individuals who compromise them know and care about each other. Indeed, crowds can actually perpetuate aloneness instead of curing it. Uh, When I was 17 and I had that experience with God, I started going to a church that was about a 5,000-person church. Uh, It was huge. And I was there, and I was with other people worshiping God, and it was a powerful experience. My family still goes there, and I love the church. But there's a sense of aloneness when you're with 5,000 people. Who am I in the midst of this huge group? Does anyone even know me? Do they know my story? Do they know my experience? There was some aloneness going on there. Mother Teresa once said, the most terrible poverty is the poverty of loneliness. Think about that. This is a woman who dealt with extreme poverty. This is a woman who lived in one of the most populated countries in the world. And she said, the most terrible poverty in the midst of these masses is the poverty of being alone. But again, what are the people going to do? They couldn't argue with God. God was doing something in their community. God drew thousands of people to Christ in one day. So they had two options. They could turn the people away and say, stay out. We don't want you. We want to stay small. We want to stay intimate. We need to have uh, really strong relationships where we know each other. They could turn people away and say, sorry, God's not for you. God is our God and not your God. Or they could look for ways to grow smaller while they grew larger. And if we're really honest, I think we're faced with the same issue today. I really think, uh, and I think you would probably say the same thing if you are in a relationship with God, that God's heart breaks when he knows that less than 5% of the people in Sonoma County have a passionate relationship with him. I don't think God's okay with that. I think it, it grieves God's spirit. I think God wants to use us to draw people to himself. I really do. I think he set us up to do that. And so we have two options, too, and I I don't think we'd choose the first one. I don't think we would say, no, people, you can't come in. Church is not for you. God is not for you, because that would break God's heart. So the only option that we have is to grow smaller and larger at the same time. We need to invite people into this context, but we need to look for ways to get more intimate, to know each other, 
as New Life has grown over the years, one of the complaints that I've heard is, man, we just don't know each other anymore. I liked it when we used to be small, 75, 100 people, because we knew everybody. Now we're too big. We don't know anybody anymore. And you know what? The gospel of God demands that we grow. It demands that people come to Christ. It demands that people come to know him. God is too loving for us to stay small, but we have to look for ways to get intimate. We have to look for ways to grow friendships. We can't continue to be just this big mass of people who doesn't know each other. So how do we do it? How do we grow larger and smaller at the same time? I want to propose that life groups are our key place to do that. They're the closest thing that we have to this Acts 2 community. Now, I want to lay out life groups a little bit for you because you've probably heard this, uh, most of you, but maybe some of you haven't. Life groups are simply gatherings of people who meet together for 12 weeks. It's a set period of time. We start our first life groups at the very end of this month. We meet for 12 weeks to form some new friendships, to get to know some people. We used to think that uh, everyone in life groups had to be best friends. That's just actually not the case. Uh, There are going to be people in your life group, if you have 20 people, you're not going to be best friends with all of them you're actually probably not going to totally want to spend every day with all of them because some of them might bug you. And that's okay, right? If you were in group with me, you wouldn't want to spend every day with me, unless you're my wife, and she has to. Uh, But you form some new friendships in life groups. That's one of the key things we do in a life group. We form friendships. Maybe we take that to the next level. Maybe you find a couple or an individual that you really like, and you invite them over to your house for dinner. Or you go to a movie, or you have fun together. Or maybe you're single, and you learn the middle name, and you take them on a date. You know, these are the These are the things we do. But don't come to me unless you know their middle name. We explore ways that God might want to develop us in life groups. We do these for 12 weeks so that you can, for a set period of time, for for close to three months, you can explore some aspect of your relationship with God with other people. This fall, there are 20 different life groups, each studying something different. So you have plenty of options to choose from. During the 12 weeks as a life group, we have the opportunity to serve together. We see throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, serving was a huge part of the early church. Uh, People who served together had a passionate experience with God, and so we're going to give you opportunity to serve together as a life group. During the 12 weeks, you can party together, go out to dinner, have some fun. One of our life groups will be dedicated simply to partying, simply to having fun, to playing games, to, to goofing around, to just enjoying each other. We pray together in life groups. And I'm really excited about one of the other things we do. We share communion together in life groups. There's something great when we gather together in a large group and we take communion, but can you imagine being with eight people, ten people, twenty people, and experiencing communion in that setting? It's just this intimate, intimate time with God. And so we share communion together in life groups. Now my guess is that we probably fall into one of three categories. Most of you, uh, if you're like me, you just can't wait to sign up for a life group. You're really excited right now, and I can see it on your faces that you guys are fired up right now. I really can. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually had two people come to me this week and say, hey, can we sign up early for a life group? Can you give me the catalog so I can know what's going on? And I smiled and said, I'm really excited, but no, I will not let you sign up early. I gave them one of these. They knew I was serious. But today you can sign up, and I'm going to tell you how you can sign up later. So that's the first group. But maybe you're here and you've tried a life group before, and it just wasn't your thing. Maybe you had an awkward experience or a bad experience, and and you're just kind of gun-shy to want to sign up again. Uh, My first time ever leading a small group, I was 22. I was a senior in college, and I led a a Bible study in the freshman dorms at Sonoma State University, and it was a dynamic group. We started with 10 people, grew to about 20 people. We had three folks come and give their lives to the Lord during that small group. One of the guys, I was in his wedding. I was his groomsman. Uh, It was just this powerful time. We loved spending time together. We we really enjoyed uh, all aspects of life. 
And I was fired up. So then I, I went into ministry the next year at the same school, and I decided to lead a life group again. And that next year, we started with 20 people. And I thought, man, if we started with 10 last time and grew to 20, we're going to start with 20 and grow to 40 or 50. Or my math was bad, maybe like 100. I didn't know. Uh, because of my amazing leadership ability, uh, my great uh, oratory skills, uh, I grew the group down to two people by the end of the first semester. Yeah. Uh, the best part of that was there was a meeting room right across the way, like a community room, and about 10 of the people from my life group were over watching Smallville every week during my life group. So I knew they weren't even doing anything good. They were just watching Smallville. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Uh, I felt like a failure, obviously. Uh, they didn't have a good experience in the group, and we were left frustrated. I started wondering, is this the right thing for me? Should I be in ministry? What, what is my calling, and how is God uh, going to use me? And God spoke into that area, and he, he redeemed it. But uh, truth be told, most of us went off to other life groups the next year and had great experiences. But for whatever reason, that group just didn't click. So if you're here this morning and you've been in a group and it just didn't click for you, that's okay. Acknowledge it. Throw it out there and then move past it. The group you're going to sign up for is not the group you were in before. And that's part of why we do groups for 12 weeks. Most of you will have a great experience in a life group, but some of you might not. It might be awkward. You might not enjoy it. Learn what you can learn in that group. Meet some new people. Form some new friendships. And then when the next session starts in the spring, just join a different life group. It's okay. You're not in it for life. You're not in it until Jesus comes back. You're just in it for 12 weeks. So sign up, take a risk, and do it. You'll probably have a really good time. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, you're just asking a lot of me. Uh, I don't think I can uh, add something else into my schedule. I feel like every time I come to church, you're always telling me I have to do something else. I have to try something else. Uh, Kevin, I wish you would just talk about what the Bible says, but don't meddle with my life. Don't tell me how I have to live my life, how to put it into my life. And I got to be honest with you, I'm sorry, but just reading the Bible is not enough. We have to apply it to our lives. Uh, scripture calls us to, God calls us to. Uh, and I'll be honest, what I'm asking you to do is a commitment. Joining a life group, saying I'm going to make it a priority once a week to spend time with new people, to form some friendships, to learn about God, to experience God, it's a commitment. Uh, it is. It means you might have to miss Monday Night Football. You might have to miss uh, Survivor, which is a big deal for some of us. Uh, you might have to miss some me time, some downtime. You might have to skimp on your chicken nachos and get over to life group early, which if you're like me and you love your chicken nachos, that's a big part of your day sometimes. So uh, I'm asking you to make a commitment to grow in your relationship with God, to meet some new people, to form some new friendships, to serve together. It is a commitment. But in Philippians 3, Paul wrote, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. Paul was one of the most highly educated people in the world. He was one of the best speakers in the world. Forget Aristotle, forget Plato. He was an amazing philosopher. And he said, you know what? All of it, I count it trash. I count it rubbish. Uh, actually, the Greek word is it's skouvalon, which means, and I, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but uh, it means I count it as dung. I count it as excrement. And it's actually the, the common Greek word, which is even stronger than that. But I'm not going to say that because I don't want to get my mouth washed out with soap. But uh, Paul says it's nothing compared to knowing Christ. So would you commit for 12 weeks? I'm going to miss that movie night. I'm going to do my homework if you're a student at a different time of day so I can join this group, so I can grow my relationship with God. Because if you just experienced God a little deeper, wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it? 
you just form some new friendships and, and knew a little bit more about God's plan for your life, if you open the door to experience God's blessing, wouldn't it be worth it to make that commitment? Paul says it's all lost for the sake of knowing Christ. And there are three ways you can sign up for a group. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to do that. We're going to look through, pull out your Growing Together. Some of you already are. Your Growing Together catalogs. Can you pull that out for me? It says Growing Together. It's a life group brochure. And in just a minute, we're going to look through that. So don't look through it now. Just look at the front. Yeah, I see you up there. You're bigger than me, so you can look through it if you want to. Uh, in that catalog are all of our life groups, all 20 of them. It's got a brief description of the group. It tells you a little about who it is, who the leader is. And right below the life group name is a life group number. If you look, when you look through that catalog, if you find a life group that you want to sign up for, you pull your communication card out. And in the section that says, I want to sign up for life group number, you just put the life group number there. It'll say something like M-O-N-01, M-O-N-02. That would be Monday, life group one, Monday, life group two. Mark that in there and you're signed up. Uh, your life group leader will call you this week and get you plugged in. I encourage you, if you know which group you want to join, do it now. Uh, we're capping most all of our groups at 20 people because we want to have this community experience. And if we have a group of 200 people, it's just like coming here on Sunday morning. So we're capping most of our groups at 20. So if you know the group you want to be in, sign up for that group now. Uh, the second way you can sign up, if you have some more questions, if the life group brochure just doesn't give you enough information, go to the develop kiosk in the lobby. Uh, one of the life group leaders will be there. We can answer any questions you have, and we can help you sign up online, which is the third way to sign up. Visit www.newlifepetaluma.org. We just redid the website, and you go on the Develop tab, and you can read through all the life groups there, and then you can sign up for your life group that you want to join. Uh, right now, I want to give you some space uh, to look through your life groups. It doesn't have to be quiet. This is not a test. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. Look for a group that works for you. But please know one thing. When you sign up for a group, you're signed up. So if you want more information about a group, come out to the develop kiosk. Because once you sign up for that group, you're in. You've taken the space. It's marked for you. It's saved for you. Their leaders are going to contact you. Uh, so look through the catalog. Have a good time. In a few minutes, uh, a video is going to come on. And when the video comes on, our ushers are going to collect the offering, and they're going to collect your communication card. So now's the time. Pull out your communication card and pull out your offering and prepare that. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, for our offering and for what God is doing. And then I'll give you some space to, uh, to look through the Life Group catalog. So join me. Let's pray. Lord, would you uh, stir something in us even now? Would you take uh, the words that I've spoken and uh, the uh, realities of your church, and would you put a passion in our heart to want to experience you more deeply? God, would you give us the courage to step out of our everyday routine and to make uh, a small group, a life group, a commitment that we would have with you, where we would come and we would say, we want to form some new friendships. We want to learn something new about you. We want to open our lives up to experience your blessings because, God, we want the amazing life that you promise. And, Lord, in a few minutes when we collect the offering, I pray that you would bless that uh, offering, uh, that people would, uh, we put that money to use, that people would come and would experience you deeply. And we pray for uh, all the churches in the area and specifically for Adobe Christian Fellowship. And Pastor Bill and the whole community there, would you be drawing them into a passionate and deep relationship with you even today? We're so excited to partner with all the churches in Petaluma to share your good news uh, with this community. And God, we thank you and we love you. Uh, would you do something new as we form these life groups together, as we commit together to experience you in a new way, in a deep way? Would you be transforming our community? We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.